Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positivity Strategist Podcast, and I'm your host, Robin Stratton Burkessel. With Positivity Strategist Podcast, I'm excited to amplify the good things that happen in our world, to bring awareness to positive, strength-based and mindful approaches that are changing lives in ways that add up to a meaningful and joyous life. My desire is to amplify the goodness in humankind and bring the practice of positivity into our lives daily. And there are many ways to do that. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or a person for the show, someone who's making a positive difference, please go to positivitystrategist.com slash podcast where you can leave a voice recording with your ideas. Or you can go to the contact page on the website and leave your suggestions. And if you just want to say hi and let me know what you enjoy about the show, that would be awesome. And I will include your contributions in future episodes. So let's get to today's show. And my guest is Achim Novak. And this is an especially special show for me as I'm welcoming Akim for the second time. In fact, it was a year ago when Akim and I enjoyed a flow state together, as one of the topics we talked about was the book that he was writing at the time. Well, that book was recently published. It's called The Moment, with the subtitle, A Practical Guide to Creating a Mindful Life in a Distracted World, and it's published by Career Press in New Jersey. And that's what we'll focus on today. But first, a little bit of background. Akim has two previous books and is a sought-after speaker and coach, and you'll understand why as you listen to him. His business is Influence, and that's spelled I-N-F-L-U-E-N-S. It's an international coaching and training firm. And Akim puts his energy into helping C-suite business leaders and entrepreneurs to show up and radiate presence and be more influential. Akim draws from his own richly lived life, right from living as a young boy in many different parts of the world. He's been an actor, a theatre director in New York City, a windsurfer in Tobago, a teacher in meaningful programs with HIV, AIDS, clients and UNESCO. And Akim writes and speaks beautifully. He's quirky, he's funny, and so without further ado, let me introduce again Akim Novak. Hello, Robin. How are you? <laughs> Great. It's so lovely to have you back on Positivity Strategist, Akim. Oh, it is my pleasure to be here. And congratulations on the launch of your latest book, The Moment. You know oh. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I, I, you have been part of the journey, and uh, and for the listeners, uh, because I know you're going to be modest. Um, at some point, as I wrote the book, I uh, both Robin and I are passionate about the idea of micro moments of love, 
and we talked about it and, and Robin shared a beautiful story with me that ended up in the book, for which I'm so grateful to you. Oh, it was my pleasure. And I'm, I thank you for those rich conversations that we had. Um, so just I'm curious right now, Akim, what's energy, energizing you about its contribution to the world? I feel that we, we've created a culture where we put so much pressure on ourselves to succeed more, to work harder, it, and, and nothing is ever enough. It's always about more and more and more and more. And I, I wanted to write a book that celebrates the simple things in life, that brings us back to a more childlike way of enjoying life. And for me, that means being fully in the moment and really investigating in a joyful way what that actually means. Mm. Yeah, and your book does cover that so well with so many practical examples from your own life and lots of practical tips and guidelines, which we'll get to in a little while. But, you know, Akim, I would love you to introduce your intention in writing the moment by reading us the section that's called The Offering, and it's on page 23. Would you be able to get your copy and read that for us? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, the book is written in short little vignettes that build on each other and a vignette called The Offering really, well, here we go. Just live in the moment. We have all thought the thought. Most of us have uttered the words. It's a wonderfully appealing notion, isn't it? As enticing as it sounds in theory, the idea of living in the moment is also fast becoming the ultimate mindfulness cliche. What the heck does it actually mean? What happens in a moment? How do we experience a moment? What is it that we notice when we notice? These are some of the questions we will have a little bit of fun with in this book. This is not a book about simply being more spontaneous or going with the flow. It is more. It is not about learning how to better meditate. It is more. It is not about the Buddhist notion of having a beginner's mind. It is more. The moment is fueled by a few simple beliefs. As we more richly know our moments, we invoke a more richly lived life. A richly lived life is a more momentous life. And a more momentous life is an inherently good and desirable thing. In the pages that follow, we will go for a walk on the wild side with our conjoined twins, memory and meaning. The more keenly we remember and the more courageously we make meaning, the more memorable our life becomes. The least of things with a meaning, Carl Jung asserts, is worth more in life than the greatest of things without it. And memory, like it or not, is always in the mix. There is no new moment without the echo of other moments. There is no blank slate. Neutral doesn't exist. Four keys will open the doors to our momentous life. These keys are simple. That is their beauty. They are common sense. They're also great fun. And I think I'll end there. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I think you hit on a real notion there about the memory piece and the meaning piece. And so I have, before we get into the four keys, I have a couple of curiosities that I, because you have, you have these wonderful expressions and these phrases 
And so I'd love to listen to your you talk about some of them. And even though the stories in your book are crystal clear. So for example, there is no first time as we go to specific places to recreate moments and we make up stories to enhance the moment. So would yeah. you just say a little bit more about there's no, there is no first time? Well, I, I was struck a, a book that I very much love is a book called Stretching for Memory that was written by Harvard psychologist Daniel Schachter. And I actually want to quote from this and then I'll, I'll answer your question. He says, experiences are encoded by brain networks whose connections have already been shaped by previous encounters with the world. This pre-existing knowledge powerfully influences how we encode and store new memories. So one of the little lies that I, I think we tell ourselves that to, to live in the moment means we're not connected to the past or the future. We're just in the here and now. But the truth is the here and now is always in, in beautifully invisible ways connected to our past. Uh, for example, I live in Hollywood, Florida, and, and we have a beautiful beach here in Hollywood Beach. And there's one particular path to the beach that I, I just love. There's an entrance at Green Street. There's a parking lot. And you walk across these wooded planks to get to the beach. And you have this spectacular view of the beach once you get to the top of the planks. And the first time I walked, my very first time I walked in these planks before I ever moved to Hollywood, I, I was entranced by by just the beauty of the walk. But those wooden planks instantly reminded me of the wooden planks I walked uh, in my summers in Fire Island outside of New York City, where there are no no streets and everything is done on wooden planks. Uh, and my, my memory of Fire Island didn't diminish my experience of walking that path in the moment. It actually enriched it because I saw the connectedness between my experience and all of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty. Even though it was my first time in Hollywood uh, going to the beach on, on Green Street, um, it was connected to other experiences in my life. And that's, I believe, a good thing because mm -hmm. we honor the richness of our lives when we make those connections. Oh, I think that's beautiful. Um, that makes such sense to me. And all sorts of memories are coming up for me. And I think it really is about enriching each moment because of the accumulation, the connection that we make. Well, I, I there's another story I tell in the book. It's it's about a place that I love. You know, I like the Keys and I've often driven across the seven mile bridge to go to my favorite beach in the Keys. And and it's a seven mile long ride and it's exquisite because it's seven miles uh, across water, uh, sun, the wind, I have a convertible. And on any given day, when I drive across it, it's just an ecstatically beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. But what happens when my heart is open, I flash back on all the other rides I had across the bridge with my mom, with my friend Flash. Uh, I, I think about the movie True Lies, which I love with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis, mm -hmm. which has a famous chase scene that's on that bridge. And I hope it's clear that when I flash back on, on, on these moments, uh, they enrich an already beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. The experience would be beautiful without those memories, but the memories just uh, add an even more spice to what's already beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you say with an open heart. I think that's key. 
Yeah. If we don't have an open heart, we just don't allow the space for that kind of thing to happen. So as you were saying that, Ahim, what came up for me is that can you imagine living a life that is compounding these very enriched moment by moments, Mm -hmm. what at the end of life, what it would be like? (laughs) You know, what the end of life would be like when you think about all these beautiful moments that have accumulated. Well, my purpose for writing this book was to just think of some very simple ways of savoring moments more fully so we can have more of those memories down the line, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I was a professional theater and acting coach for many years in Manhattan, that was my first career. And I taught at some big acting schools. I, I learned a lot from, from how actors create moments because actors are paid fully alive in the moment. And there are things that they've learned that are very simple, but that enhance our way of, of experiencing what's going on right in mm. front of us. Mm. Yeah. And so I have two more that I want to talk about before we sure. get into the, um, the the keys, the four keys that you talk about. So the other phrase um, that really struck me was a moment unfolds. Perhaps you could say something about what that means. I believe that um, in a, a related phrase I use is moments are constantly waiting to be born. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're only, they're only born and unfold if we notice what is right in front of us. You know, I, I, like you, you know, we both love technology. We're recording a podcast right now. Uh, but we've also become a culture where we're constantly removing ourselves from present reality mm. by listening to music. And I love music by tweeting. And I love tweeting, you know, by, uh, by texting and I love texting. Uh, so one very simple, um, invitation I have for our listeners, uh, especially when you're in public space, you know, experiment with not resorting to technology because the moment we put technology away for a while, if you're going for a walk, if you're sitting in a Starbucks, if you're anywhere else in public, by putting that away, there are other things speaking to us all the time. There could be the smile of a stranger sitting across from us. Uh, and that might be a, a moment that is waiting to unfold. Mm. But it's not going to happen if we don't notice. Mm. Yeah. Being available to it rather yes. than distracted. Yes. Mm. I love the word available. That's Mm. great. Yeah. And my last curiosity is every moment is an empty space. Um, I, the word empty space, I, I love for many reasons. You know, if you have, if you are a Buddhist, uh, your practice may be to through meditation continuously go deeper and deeper into the empty space and, and the empty space in the end is a space that connects you to the divine, which is the biggest space of them all. Um, because I was a theater director, one of my heroes was a director named Peter Brook, who wrote a book called The Empty Space. And uh, what I love about Peter Brook's work, he says, all the artifacts of theater that we think are important, like great lighting and wonderful sets and great costumes, are just distractions that get in the way of what's essential. Mm-hmm. To, to create great theater, all you need is a stage, an empty space, and actors. And then we create magic. And I, 
I believe that's true for our lives. You know, the moment I walk into a restaurant, the moment I run into a stranger on the street, the moment I have a conversation with a friend who I haven't spoken with for a long time, that moment is the empty space. And I can help create something in that moment that will be enriching to me and to the other person. And those energies will then, rip, will then ripple out to the rest of the world. Hmm. So the co-creation. So yeah. yeah. So it's almost like a carte blanche, that empty space that's and with in relationship with others or within relationship with the context, you then fill it with something. So it's that co-creative, co-constructive process, I think. I'm I, 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 I do and I, I, I believe in the act of co-creation. And I think that the notion of seeing every moment as an empty space, uh, and maybe this is the former actor theater director, me mm. that in, in, invites me and you to fill it with something playful, mm. joyful, meaningful. We get to decide what it is. Mm. And we're not bringing our, we're being open. We're not bringing our own filters to it if it's truly empty. Well, one of, one of the um, keys we're going to talk about moment do with energy right and so one way to to fill a moment in a way that's not about being a control freak <laughs> is to be mindful of the energy that's around it that is coming our way and then we dance with that energy and then it becomes what i call a more organic authentic moment rather than a forced moment mm-hmm. driven by our will or willfulness yeah beautifully said yeah so I wonder if you'd like to say anything else about how you set out to make the moment different from other books that focus on mindfulness. Because, you know, when you talk about being present, being in the moment, you know, being mindful, we do have our filters because as you read in that offering, you know, the, the piece I asked you to read called The Offering, you you make a distinction. So I just wonder if there's something else you would like to add, Achim, by saying how it does differ. Well, there are lots of amazing books out there on mindfulness and mindful practices. Uh, a lot of them begin with meditation, which I love and do myself. And they begin with Eastern spiritual practices. And I practice Hinduism, so I'm come of that world as well. Uh, and they tend to work from the inside out. Uh, and there can almost be a message of like present reality or physical reality is the, is the lesser reality and the larger reality is the divine. Uh, so I intentionally begin with present reality, which is where, I, where am I physically right now in the moment? What is happening around me? What do I notice? And what can, what can, what can I co-create to use your word in that moment with what's happening around me? So that is one big difference that was important to me as somebody who, uh, is steeped in, if I use the label Eastern spiritual practices, but also comes from a theater world, which is very much about being in physical present reality and honoring that and celebrating it. Mm -hmm. And then we come to the four keys. (laughs) Um, because I think that actually um, explains, you know, your difference in this Mm -hmm. book. So the four keys, um, I'm going to read out each one, one by one, and invite you to 
say, you know, just give us the essence of what they are. So, for example, the first key in uh, living in the moment and um, enriching your life with a more mindfully is to awaken the senses. And so that is kind of being in reality. So what in your life woke you to this principle of awakening the senses? Well, this this harks back to my first career as a theater director and acting coach. And every professional actor who has taken an acting class, one of the first things that he or she will work on is to do sensory exercises to to deepen their experience of the senses, which means when we see, we really see. When we taste, we really taste. When we smell, we really smell. Uh, and that sounds so incredibly obvious, but because um, we tend to be bombarded with too much information, we tend to get stuck with the stories in our head, and we have a diminished experience of the actual sensory reality. Uh, and actors work on this because it helps them to fully savor a moment. Uh, and I believe in savoring moments and the senses are a wonderful place to start. Uh, the second level to the senses is as we notice our, as we experience the senses more fully, the senses are the link to our uh, emotional memory and uh, the things that have happened in the past. So if we want this sort of connectedness that you and I spoke about at the beginning of this conversation, the senses are one of the doors to to that level of knowing a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you inspired me to want to look into acting classes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I love that. I because um, I, I make I make you know I, I make my living in the in the international training coaching world and. Uh, I remember 10 years ago that there, there was a, there's a publication that's big in that industry called Training Magazine, and they asked seven successful trainers, public speakers, if they would give a piece of advice to uh, anybody else who wanted to be in that profession. And they all had different pieces of advice except for one thing. All seven said, take an acting class. Mm-hmm. And because, because it – and I like it for two, two reasons. An acting class develops all of us in a holistic way, and it's a joyful way of developing ourselves. And I'm a big advocate for joyful growth in my book and uh, without constant self-flagellation. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I'll let you know how I go with my acting classes. <laughs> but, you know, it is really about, you know, photography does this a little bit too, not to the same degree that you're talking about, but it's really noticing, really walking around with your eyes open and beginning to notice the little things that when we rush about and we're not paying attention, we just totally ignore or take for granted. So it is that that when you awaken a sentence, it's also what more are you able to notice and hear and smell, all those things you're talking about. That's a beautiful association and uh, that totally makes sense what you just said. Mm, Yeah. So would you like to move on to number two, key number two? And this is the one where we um, engaged in some fabulous conversations. Mm-hmm. And that that um, key to living more in the moment and enriching your life is to crave meaning. So what is it what what got to you about this this 
desire to crave meaning? Well, tra- traditional traditional psychologists, when when they talk about making meaning, um, often describe meaning making as something that happens after the fact. Uh, for example, we had an experience that it was either positive or negative, and then we reflect on it afterwards and we make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And and I'm a great believer in that sort of meaning making and reflection. I think part of growing up is to be able to do that. Um, but I also know in my experience in life that, that folks who um, who who are able to be in in the middle of a moment and they enjoy the moment and they have an insight while they're in the moment about the meaning of that moment. And I, I refer to the, the, there's a Buddhist term called prajna wisdom. And prajna really describes the kind of wisdom that we have while a moment unfolds. And if I can just offer a very si- simple example that I think we've all known, um, we've all had moments when, where we meet somebody, let's say at a social function, we engage in a conversation with a person, it ends up being an amazing conversation. At some point, a little voice kicks in that says, wow, I think this person will be a friend for life. Mm. And that voice that says this person will be your friend for life, that's the prajna wisdom in the middle of a conversation. Mm. And we're already enjoying the conversation, but that insight elevates the conversation even more. We just It, it allows us to enjoy it even more deeply. And I, I firmly believe that these pra, this prajna wisdom wants to talk to us all the time but it, it behooves us to notice how it talks to us and it talks differently to different people. So it could be a voice. Uh, it could be a sudden sense of calm as we're in the middle of a moment where we go, Oh, this feels good. This feels right. It could be looking at, um, I'm going, so with the photography, we're looking at a billboard and we read something in a billboard and that's the insight that relates to our life and that illuminates what's happening in the moment or it could be listening to a piece of music that gives us an insight. Um, so folks who enjoy life more richly are able or have learned to have more prajna moments and have those insights as moments unfold. And uh, so I invite all of us to discover how prajna talks to us. Hmm. So it's more than just a curiosity to understand. Well, we no, it's more. It's... Um, we sometimes call it intuition or instinct, mm, mm. Uh, but that still can trivialize it. For me, the, 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 the deepest definition of prajna is wisdom, uh, which is having a, a, a deep insight. Uh, and the, we can have those in the moment, the more it, we have illuminated experiences of life. And, and the key is that like little recipe for how prajna works for you. I talk about different ways in which it talks to people. Our job is to learn uh, how these signals present themselves to us. And then to go back to what we started, have an open mind and heart. So we notice them when they, when they show up. Mm. Why don't you tell the story that you tell in the opening chapter, um, that opening chapter in your book about the driving through the toll and connecting with the, the woman who was taking the toll money? Well, one way, because moments, the book is about moments and moments tend to be quick. So part of what I want to invite us to do is to find a deeper enjoyment in quick moments that may seem meaningless, 
unless we can ascribe a deeper meaning to it. And a book that you and I both love is a book by Barbara Fredrickson called Love 2.0, in which Barbara Fredrickson, who is a, a well-known positivity psychologist, um, talks about the notion of micro moments of love. And I, I believe that the moment we embrace the notion of micro moments of love, which is a meaning, we can help co-create those moments and, and find them. So the story I tell in the book is, uh, I had just read Barbara Fredrickson's book, so it was very much uh, in my mind. I was pulled by the toll booth in Naples, Florida, and I had to pay $3 to pass the booth. And I was actually on the phone with a friend at the scene. I looked up and there was the toll booth clerk, and uh, and this is the part that's important, is this, this woman was emanating positive energy, so I wanted to engage with her. And she wore these big oversized glasses and she was a woman of a certain age. Uh, so I said to her playfully, well, you look like an Italian movie star. And she received that beautifully and she giggled. She said, uh, well, don't I wish? <laughs> and my answer was, well, maybe you are. Maybe you're just doing research for your next great movie role. And that was it. You know, there was a quick exchange, but I could tell she felt good. I felt good. We received each other's energy. And when I left, to me, this was not just um, a frilly little moment. I, I felt like together this woman and I had a micro moment of love. And that experience, that feeling good that I felt inside reverberated for the rest of the day. But that was the meaning I ascribed to that quick little moment. And that's a choice we have all the time. We can help create the meaning and we can ascribe it to moments that seem quick, but have that level of positivity that you and I are both very much like. Mm. Yeah, I love that story. Those that micro moments of love, you actually broke up a little bit when you were saying that earlier. So I just want to make sure we get that through. Micro moments okay. of love, which deepens the connection, right? The 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 human yeah. connection and comes back to what we were saying earlier, Achim, about having an open heart. This yeah. kind of stuff does not happen if you don't have an open heart. So true. Um, and you're, you're not there, you're not there for the other. So there's also that notion of being other-centred as well. So, yeah, and, um, and just let me say here that at the end of each of these four keys in the book, um, you offer wonderful further explorations for people to try some of these things out for themselves. Um, some explorations on purpose because mm -hmm. I, I, I want to get away from the notion that we, we have to work harder to be better people, have better lives. Like I, I got this wonderful um, email from a woman yesterday who had read the moment and loved it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm jumping back to the key one now. She said, I, I did an exploration about my senses. I was eating a clementine yesterday and I was just really savoring eating the clementine and it felt so good. So it's that simple, you know. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and don't you love that feedback? I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So let's move on now to key three, which is yeah. wave ride energy. So how's that become a key? On, we live in, in, in a highly verbal culture, and you and I are both writers and very verbal people. Uh, but on a deeper level, I think rich moments happen because um, 
we're in tune with our own energy and we're able to receive the energy that's coming at us from the outside. And in a very simplistic way, if I, if I were to divide the world into two folks, um, and energy, let me just say energy comes to us in different ways. Traditionally, we tend to break it down into four forms. There's a mental energy, like you and I are exchanging ideas right now, that's mental energy. There's emotional energy, which can be a, a positive spirit, uh, a sense of excitement. There can be physical energy, and I think we all know what that is. We're either physically energized or not, or there can be spiritual energy, which is uh, uh, sensing the deeper spirit behind something. And and that energy is coming toward us all the time. Uh, and some folks are very good at noticing that energy and, if I can use the vernacular, going with it and going for a ride with that energy when a stimulus comes their way. And those are folks who are rave-riding energy. There are other folks who, when a new form of energy comes to them, will stop for a moment and say, you know, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And I, I'm, I'm a great believer in sometimes thinking about it and getting back to somebody about a new stimulus. But if we do that habitually, we tend to not wave ride energy as much and uh, we tend to have the less adventurous life. And I'm, I'm obviously advocating for um, creating rich, surprising, deeply known moments and rave riders tend to have more of those. I'm just thinking about that. Um, because there's an implication there about extroverted behavior versus more introverted preferences. Uh, no, I, 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 I do not like that language, which is Jungian psychological. Right. All. Um, I'm much more interested in, in Eastern, uh, uses of energy language, you know, in India, India, we use uh, the word prana or kundalini energy. The Chinese use the word chi. The Ch Japanese use the word ki. Beautiful. This is like all mm. the energy. Uh, and uh, there are ways of learning how to access this energy. Uh, if we, we're sticking to Indian language, you know, mm -hmm. our listeners will have heard about the chakras, which are seven mm -hmm. energy centers uh, on along our vertebra vertebrae and they can, they're, they're, they're associated with different sorts of energy and through the, through some guidance of an experienced teacher, we can learn how to open the chakras and suddenly we feel more energy moving through us. And the moment we do that, um, because we are more energetically in tune, folks receive that from us and we're able to receive more energy from others. And, this kind of energy, chakra-based energy, is available to introverted and extroverted people. So it has nothing to do with psychological language. It's bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for um, explaining that. So I was kind of stuck in the kind of, um, you know, personality preference as opposed to where the real source of energy comes from. And um, thank you for reminding me. Like one, one very specific exercise that I, I write about in the book and it came out of a conversation that I had a, with a psychologist in, in, in New York, Blair Glazer, whose work I very much admire and like. Mm -hmm. um, Blair Glazer is very in tune with the big energy that we just talked about. But what she said is, uh, in your daily life, you know, do energy check-ins with yourself to see how you're doing. Uh, 
uh, how is my mental energy right now? How is my physical energy? How is my energy as I'm talking to this person? Uh, to really do do regular energy check-ins, and if if you're not happy with where, with where you are energetically, um, you will quickly discover things you can do to change that energy state. Mm-hmm. And when we do, then we begin to be to go back to our theme today, have a, a more open mind and heart, mm-hmm. invite richer moments into our life. Beautiful, right. And the fourth key is make time stand still. Yes. Uh, and I, I go in two very different directions with this one. I, I, I love meditating, and I'm delighted that meditation has become such a popular practice for many folks. Um, but what, 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 let's say, 10, 15 minutes of meditation in the morning at its best does for us is this. Now we begin to, we, we sort of go through three different levels of letting go. We begin to let go of the chatter in our mind about what we have to do that day, the have to, have to, story, story, story. Uh, we let go of our desire to run, run up, get up, distract ourselves and do things. And we start to let go of our, um, of any stress in the body. And when we let go on those three levels, if we're fortunate, we get to a state of bliss or peace where time no longer matters. We tend to not stay there for too long, but that experience of timelessness mm-hmm. is powerful. And what meditation, what, what meditating in the morning does for us is yes, we will encounter some challenges and turbulence during the day, but we meet it from, we meet that turbulence with a sense of calm that we've experienced that morning when we meditated and, and meditation and that sense of timelessness will change how we interact with folks during the day. Mm-hmm. The whole other end goes back to some uh, something that you and I are passionate about, which is the experience of flow, uh, which is almost sounds like the opposite. You know, when we engage in an activity that is so enjoyable to us, so um, satisfying and challenging in a good way. Uh, we can be doing something for two hours and we suddenly look at the watch and we go, my gosh, I thought I was only doing this for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So for those two hours, we were engaged to a degree while we also lost track of time and the best sense of what that means. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I'd, I'd love for us to really contemplate when we think about creating the flow state is um, – when I, when I lie at the beach for 15 minutes and do nothing, uh, that may be very enjoyable to me, but the chances of me getting to a flow state are actually very unlikely because I'm not doing anything. And <laughs> very often people after 15 minutes get restless, want to get up and do something. Mm-hmm. Um, flow states tend to happen when we engage in an activity that is somewhat challenging for us. It really demands that we work at our uh, at a high level of engagement. Mm-hmm. If it's too simple, we will get bored. If it's too hard, we will get frustrated. Um, I when I lived in Tobago in the early nineties, I uh, for me flow happened a lot when when I was windsurfing. I wanted to become a windsurfer, and every time I windsurfed, I knew there was more I had to learn because there was always a way of becoming a better windsurfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had a level of skill but I was always working on my personal edge when it came to windsurfing and the states of flow were amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my invitation is 
if, if you want to create a different relationship to time, how you experience time, uh, engage in more activities that will take you to a flow state. Mm. Yeah, and it speaks to, you know, when you're in that creative space. Yes. Um, or, the, or, as you mentioned, that, that athletic space or you're mm. in performance. So when you're really so engrossed in what you're doing, yeah, time does stand still. And so if we could all find work that facilitates that, mm-hmm. how awesome would that be? <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And so I wondered, you know, Achim, when I was reading this and thinking about our conversation today was um, making time stand still. I wondered if that is the essence um, when one moment falls into the next mm-hmm. and falls in and then it, that actually becomes living a fully momentous life? Well, it, I, at its highest, um, every moment in life becomes um, like a walking meditation where there is no separation from one moment to the next because we flow from moment to moment and we are conscious at the same time about how life is unfolding. Mm-hmm. And there's a sweetness to that. Excuse me. And some of these practices um, help us get to more to a state where we more frequently experience that way of being, which is which is really lovely. Um, I there's another word I introduce in, in in that section of the book that I really want to invite our listeners to play with is the notion of an obligated time. Oh, I love that. I'm glad you brought that up. Because it is, we, we are so uh, driven to the moment we have a free day, let's say a Saturday, uh, we want to make plans. And often these plans are wonderful things. They can involve other people. Uh, but we're so good at committing our time away all the time. So an experiment that I encourage folks to engage in, if you find that you're having a day for which you haven't made any plans yet, for at least half the day, uh, allow yourself to make no plans whatsoever. And when you wake up in the morning, really pay attention to whatever is speaking to you in that moment, which could mean if you're lying in bed and you don't want to do anything, you don't do anything, you stare at the ceiling, and that's okay. Uh, because you may have a story about, I have to meditate right now because meditation is good for me, or I need to have a cup of coffee right now because I always have a cup of coffee in the morning. But truth is you may not want a cup of coffee right then and there, and you may not want to meditate. Uh, and we tend to then dismiss that as being willful because we're not doing the things that are good for us. So we get into a whole other story. Um, so watching the stories that we tell ourselves as we walk into unobligated time uh, is a powerful learning experience. And the moment we let go of having to do anything, uh, tremendous insights come to us. And it is simple and it takes work. It's, it's, it's simple and it's hard. Mm. <laughs> Believe me, I know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you uh, have – you have learned this through your lifetime and through all your experiences. So I'm wondering, you know, what would you like the listeners to take away from this conversation today and for them to, you know, really be curious about reading the moment? 
um, I, I quote a fellow at the end of the book uh, who's a, a really well-known uh, meditation teacher, John Kabat-Zinn, uh, who has been a spokesperson for, for meditation in the Western world. And there's a quote of his that I just love. And this is a, a spirit of life that I want to encourage for all of us. I'm going to quote John Kabat-Zinn now. He says, see if you can detect the bloom of the present moment in every moment, the ordinary ones, the in-between ones, even the hard ones. Mm -hmm. And I love the word bloom. Because mm. uh, bloom, my association is, and you'll have your own, bloom is, uh, it has to do with something being in the middle of unfoldment. To me, bloom inherently is something beautiful. And what I love about the word is, is it behooves us to see the beauty in things. I remember living for, um, for a year in the late 1980s in an industrial warehouse district two blocks from the East River, uh, which by most people's standards was just an ugly place to live. But for me, it was a place full of bloom. Uh, and that's a choice we make. So I invite you to make bloom part of your, your way of looking at the world. And I assure you more bloom will show itself. Yeah. In fact, can you quickly turn to page 179 and just read the last couple of paragraphs of your book? Yes. Where, that starts, where it starts all blooms? Moments are such a slippery and ephemeral thing. They come and go with a blink of an eye. That is their beauty and their curse. Miss too many moments and you miss your entire life. Detect the bloom and you catch the soul of a person, the spirit of a place. What you really catch, of course, is your love of the world, the sordid and the sublime, banal and the exceptional, the big transcendent love of it all. That's a pretty nice catch, I say. Keep catching. Beautiful. Thank you, Akim Novak, for sharing this moment with us today. Oh, my pleasure. And for your beautiful insights and for your reading and for all the wonderful prana wisdom in your book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, there are links to be able to find Akim on the show notes page for this episode, and that is positivitystrategist.com slash PS49. And there are links to The Moment and Achim's other books, his website and more. So Achim Novak, thank you once again. And I'm looking forward to seeing you very soon. Likewise, my friend. Bye-bye. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember, what you focus on grows, so grow towards your best. Your best.